Do you know how your business stacks up compared to average and high profit operations in the industry? Get your financial questions answered by participating in NHPA's 2021 Cost of Doing Business Study. Participation is free and easy. It takes just a few minutes to complete and your personal information is confidential. When you participate, you'll receive a free copy of the study, a $499 value, along with a personalized financial analysis of your operation with ratios and other financial tools. The deadline to participate is fast approaching. To learn more or get started, visit yournhpa.org slash CODB. Welcome to Editorially Speaking, the magazine podcast for the North American Hardware and Paint Association. I'm Melanie Mal, Managing Editor for the Association. On today's episode, we have Dave Rosenberg, a former Naval officer and current tactical leadership expert. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. Uh, Melanie, I am excited about being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so um, a, a little background um, about you. So you uh, currently uh, run a company called Locked on Leadership, and you have a book um, by the same name. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got to that point with Locked on Leadership? Sure. Well, I, I like to refer to this as Dave 6.0. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I got a degree in engineering, and like many, many, many people, I haven't worked in in the field since I, I graduated college. I ended up joining the Navy, uh, ended up flying uh, in the back of F-14s. I like to tell people I was goose if you saw Top Gun, but I lived. And, <laughs> Spoiler and alert. Got, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It was a good thing, you know, a beats the alternative, right? Um, and I mean, there was, uh, there were some times when that was optional. Um, but uh, I got out of the service back in 93 and went into business. And I won't give you the whole resume, but I ended up running half a dozen different companies over the uh, following 25 years or so. And the last company I ran was a moving company here, a good sized moving company here in San Diego. I thought it was going to be my last job. I got to be candid. The owner was a friend of mine. We had a great simpatico in terms of business and, and personality and you know personal. It was just a great, great situation. And unfortunately, he's a serial entrepreneur and decided to sell the business. And he, good for him, he got an offer much greater than I was prepared to give. And, uh, you know, worked out for him and I was happy for him. But then I had to reinvent myself and I had to figure out what I was going to do. I got an interesting text that Father's Day after I was no longer there uh, from one of our former uh, employees. It was a gentleman who, uh, when I met him, he was uh, the estimator for the company, one of the estimators. And he had a ninth grade education, had grew up in a very bad area of San Diego, a place called Barrio Logan, literally would go to bed with the sound of gunfire. And um, he'd started on the trucks. By the time I got hired there, like I said, he was our estimator, but he didn't know anything about sales. And I started working with him. And early on, my idea has always been that salespeople should uh, eat what they kill. They should participate in their own success. And the whole idea of being hourly and getting overtime doesn't make sense. And I, but he, and he was, by the way, hourly. He was making $15 an hour and $25 a move or something like that. And I said, hey, let me sh- show you this new comp plan that I think you will do much better at. And it was 100% commission. And he was having none of it. 
and frankly, I'm not about forcing people into things because that doesn't work. You demotivate people and you get worse performance. I said, okay, we'll leave things the way they are. It was working. He just wasn't doing as well as he could have. And I wanted to inspire him to do even more by making it worth his while. Well, let's fast forward a year. And uh, he, at this point, had trusted me because we'd been working together. In the beginning, he didn't trust me. He didn't know me. And that's a big part of leadership, of course, is gaining trust. Now, a year goes by and we sit down and I say, you did great last year. Here's your W-2s. And it was, uh, you know, mid uh, like 65, 70,000, somewhere in that range, you know, income, not bad for a guy with a ninth grade education in San Diego and doing okay for himself. But I, I said, let me show you what you left on the table. And I showed him how much he would have earned had he switched when I had um, presented that to him. Needless to say, it was a significant amount of money. And at this point, he's like, I hear you. I trust you. Let's do it right now. Well, fast forward a couple of years, business gets sold. And as I mentioned, I was uh, sitting in my house on Father's Day. This was 2014. And I get a text from this gentleman and it said, happy Father's Day. Wonderful text, except for I don't have kids. And frankly, I always felt like I missed out because kids are your way of giving a legacy to the world that improves the world. I think that's that's the way I always viewed it. And so I texted him back. I said, hey, man, thanks. But you know, I don't have kids. And it's his response is why I'm here today. He said, yeah, but you've been like a father to me. Hmm. His son was in private school. Today, and we stay in touch, today he owns his own moving company. I realized, and I was always looking for a passion and a purpose in life. You hear about people who are passionate about what they do. And I am jealous of, I was, I should say, jealous or envious. Envious is probably a better word of, especially young people who like, they were like fired up about doing something. I did a good job because that's how I'm cut, but it wasn't because I was passionate about it. It was because somebody hired me and I'm going to give them back. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I was lit up about realization that I can really touch people's lives for the better through the leadership, and not just his life, but everybody he works with. We spend so much time at work, right? A, a third to a half of our life at work. Mm-hmm. If you're not happy there, you're not happy anywhere, and it, it, or, you know, it, it spills over, and vice versa. If you're engaged and happy and excited about work, then the rest of your life is better as well. So that's when I decided, you know what, I've got a lot of history. I know what I'm doing. Let me see if I can help others. And here I am. Sure, sure. Um, Leadership is a big theme in the July issues of the two magazines we have that are out now for listeners. Um, And we're highlighting the achievements of the recipients of our Young Retailer of the Year Award. So we have been doing this award for 25 years, um, and it recognizes the achievements of retailers uh, 35 and younger, uh, and they're just making a huge difference. They're growing their companies, but they're also connecting with their communities, and they're investing in themselves through uh, leadership programs and educational programs and things like that. So um, first, let's talk a little bit about Uh, how you think the concept of leadership has changed over the last 25 years. And that's a really big timeframe. So, you know, if we want to narrow it down, you know, has there been a lot of change recently or has it really taken 25 years 
for changes to happen. I mean, change is constant and 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 ongoing. And leadership's been changing. We've we've had leaders for three hundred thousand years since mm-hmm. the dawn of literally the dawn of man. Right? We we're a social um, uh, animal, and yeah. we choose our leaders based on our ability or their ability to ensure our survival. And that that hasn't changed in three hundred thousand years. Mm-hmm. How leaders go about that, however. Has has gone through significant. Let me rephrase that. Not so much has gone through significant changes because I think effective leaders, two hundred years ago, two thousand years ago, were the same. But we've spent a lot more time studying effective leadership, and now we're promulgating what really works today a lot more. It was it was sort of by accident in the past. Sure. And. I think your young leaders, as as I read your magazine, exemplify, I think, the the current thought process, which is leadership is about putting others first. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that's the big change. Leadership, um, you know, 25 years ago when I got into workplace, 30 years ago when I got into workplace, was I predominantly very dictatorial, right? Yeah. And now it's much more collaborative. It's understanding that um, you don't have to know all the answers. You have to be open to hearing the answers and know what questions to ask. Mm. But that's not even new in the sense that, I mean, you go back to in the 50s, uh, Edward Deming's uh, total quality management, bottom-up you know, management is what he called it. But that's really just strong leadership. So it's been around for a while. It's just becoming more prominent. Sure, sure. Um, So one thing that we, part of the application process for this program is for retailers or the people who are nominating them to explain kind of what the achievements are um, and and their their under different categories. Um, so we we celebrate retailers um, in over $2 million in sales, under $2 million in sales and multiple stores. Um, mm-hmm. But what we've seen, regardless of the categories that retailers are really achieving the same sorts of things. Um, so they're all connecting with their communities and they're all um, making operational changes. Um, so I wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about what the what those common threads mean um, from a leadership perspective? Sure, and it's a great observation because each and every one of your nominees have they have one thing in common that's expressed in two different ways, right? So the one thing they have in common is they care about others, right? It's an outward focus. Not one of your leaders is like I need to do better for me. It's not about them. It's about their community or it's about their employees and their team. And I almost dislike saying employees because it's a team for for these leaders. It really is a team or it's about both. Right. I mean, you look at at, at your nominees and every single one of them, whether it's uh, Colton and Daniel at at a Sage hardware to, uh, you know, Ryan at home central and everyone in between, they're giving to their community. They're doing things for their community. You know, I I was uh, touched by, um, uh, Danny, who, you know, at, at first blush, you read her nomination and, you, you know, it's very data driven and, and I'm putting the right skews in. But why? Because that's what their community needs. And she's just she's just took an approach of 
let's let's look at the numbers because the numbers don't lie and give to the people what they really want. And she took an analytic approach to it where others took a, a more um, uh, a qualitative approach of just going, you know, talking and reaching out and talking to people. Uh, so one, one of your members, uh, one of your nominees, uh, uh, Alexandria, you know, she opened up floor space to local people so they could sell something to help because of the pandemic. Sure. That kind of outward facing caring is the hallmark of a great leader. It, it truly is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's always a difficult decision. You know, we get, we get nominations from, from so many people and narrowing it down to just a small group is always a very challenging uh, project for, for the, the team of judges. Um, and I think um, over the last year, it's certainly, we've certainly seen how the pandemic has, has affected this year's crop of nominees um, because the whole, the whole concept of being um, deemed essential, um, I think really pushed people to, to make different changes in the way that they run their businesses and reach out to their communities. Like you said, Alexandria, um, dedicated that floor space. Um, so, uh, when, when we're, when we're thinking about the last 18 months, um, and, and how we've seen that reflected in our, in our honorees this year, um, how do you think the pandemic has, in, has affected like general perceptions of leadership. You know, let me use an analogy here. Um, I think it's revealed the weaknesses and the and the strengths, right? So if you're if you're a good leader or a great leader, you really rose to the top. And, and if you were weak and maybe you it was being hidden because your business was one where there was a high demand and right. It's a, wasn't, it was hard to fail. That probably got revealed. And when I was flying and I'm sure many of your listeners are probably familiar with the blue angels, which is the Navy's flight demonstration team. And if you ever get a chance to watch them, they're absolutely amazing. You know, they're flying uh, 18 inches wingtip to wingtip at, at, at X speeds in excess of three and 400 miles an hour doing these amazing maneuvers and synchronization. And people look at that and they go, those are incredible pilots. What they do, nobody else can do. But the reality is they aren't doing anything that every single pilot in the fleet does on a daily basis. The difference is they do it that much better. Mm -hmm. And that's what the last year has revealed, is who are the blue angels out there? Who is doing it that much better? Because you could not afford a misstep, especially roughly a year ago, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic when we didn't know what was happening and everyone was panicking and shutting down. And if, if you were weak in leadership, you probably didn't survive. And the, the cream rose and that's what happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm definitely excited to see, um, you know, as, as we're coming out of the pandemic, um, what that what that looks like for the future of our industry? Because I think you're right that that the that the the best people stayed, um, and and there's going to be a lot of, of really great things to come out of that. Um, let's let's shift to a conversation about leadership kind of in action um, in a retail space. Um, one thing that comes up a lot in our conversations with retailers, and I think 
it's been ongoing, but definitely throughout the pandemic, um, identifying identifying leaders in the organization and hiring people to come in and eventually become leaders. Um, what are some key things that that you've found in in your in your experience that managers and executives can do to cultivate leaders in their organizations? Well, a great question. It starts with the hiring, and I don't even worry about future leaders. Worry about hiring people that share your values. That's number one. We hear a lot of di- about diversity nowadays. And I'm a huge fan of diversity because diversity gives us a breadth of experiences to draw on, right? We, we hear people talk about, oh, this person thinks outside the box. Well, I don't yeah. believe anyone actually thinks outside the box because the box is the life, our experiences. And we can't think outside of that. What we can do, however, is draw on somebody else's experience. And so when you have a, a diverse culture of experiences, then you get different ideas that build and feed off each other. The one area, however, where diversity is not beneficial is values, because we make our decisions based on our values. When we have shared values, we will have the decisions that are aligned with those values. And so you have consistency in that. So number one is hire people that share your values, but who have a breadth of different experiences, diverse experiences. And then you'll get people who will make consistent decisions. But then you have to, you have to, um, set them up for success. In other words, you have to model great leadership, set them up for success by providing them the tools they need to do well. And again, I want to go back to your your uh, eight leaders that you identified because, you know, Jonathan uh, at, uh, I think it's pronounced Techmeyer, forgive me if uh, I put your- Tate Meyer, yeah. Tate Meyer, yep, sorry yeah. about that. You know, what what stood out to me is that he talked about setting up, um, overhauling his, his, his training and his manuals and policies and procedures, and then training people. And that's number one, because when you train people, you take away the, I didn't know how to do it excuse, number one. You make sure you have consistent product going out, whether it's a service or a product, right? It's, it's being delivered the same way every single time. Mm-hmm. And it frees people up then to explore how to do things better because there's a baseline there. And if you start off there and give people good training, then you identify who excels, right? So so the training and the procedures give you a a basement and it raises that basement. Then you look at who's excelling and you start asking why. And those are the people you start looking for, for leadership. And then you figure out what they're doing to improve and change your training, right? So everybody can benefit from that. Yeah. And then finally start delegating to those individuals, right? And there's a smart way to delegate, but you want to do it in such a way that you're setting them up for success, right? You don't just say, go do this. Um, and in fact, I, in my book, I talk about uh, uh, you know putting them on mission, right? And I, I won't spend time here explaining the whole thing, but there's a very specific way that if you delegate properly, you identify where people are strong, where they're weak. And you shore them up where they're weak, get them the training they need. So when they're ready for promotion, instead of stepping up to the job, right? Think about that. We, we're going to step up to this position. You're doing something you've never done. You step into the position because you're 75, 80% there. You've done the work already. And that's how you develop future leaders. Yeah, that's really great. I think 
Um, I think there is, there is a transition going on right now in my experience, just generally talking to my peers about this concept of delegation um, and, and learning how to do that effectively. Um, I think, I think is challenging for some people there, there are, especially if you're kind of just an inherent leader um, there, there is a need to look at a task and say, I know how to do this. Let me do it instead of letting other people you know, try their hand at it. Like you said, that 75, 80% person that's almost there, give that thing to them so that they have that opportunity. Um, but do you have any tips on, on how best to delegate? Yeah, actually. So as I said, I have an acronym I use, which is you want to make sure you're on one mission. So, you know, M uh, in that is you want to make sure they know what the end result looks like. Um, in other, what what is success look like? Sure. Where do they have to? If people don't know where to go. They're not going to know how to get there, right? You you want to um, also make sure that you are giving them the information they need to and resources that are available to them. Mm-hmm. Suggest sparingly. That's the double S there, right? You want to mm-hmm. don't tell them how to do it. Learn to be Socratic. Ask questions that guide them to the answer you're looking for whenever possible. Okay. You want to provide the next I, intermediate checkpoints. In other words, don't say, here, I'm going to assign this task to you. Maybe it's re-merchandise, you know, this particular department, re-merchandise the paint department. You know, they've never done merchandising before, right? So I want it done by next Friday. And then you go away for a week and you come back and it they did a terrible job, right? Well, that's your failure. Mm -hmm. Instead, have intermediate meetings with them, check with them. What are they thinking? What's their plan? As as I said, suggest sparingly, right? So ask them good questions about, you know, know, what's your high value item? Where do you want to put that? Do you want to put that in the front? Do you want to put that in the back, right? Where, you know, is it, where, where's the most popular item? So how are we doing? What's that thought process behind that merchandising, right? And then, oh, one final check. So before you actually rearrange the store in this particular case or rearrange the department, go through the whole plan, soup the nuts, make sure everything's there and you'll get a sense of what they learned and what they didn't learn. And then the the, the last end is actually the end and analyze. After you implement it, go back and do an after action review. What worked well, what could have been better, right? And mm-hmm. make sure that they understand that. And if you go through that, you'll see where they're strong, where they're weak, and they'll learn from it. And you'll then the second time, they're not going to have need as much input from you. Yeah. That, that, uh, suggest sparingly that, that resonates with me. I'm definitely a suggester. Um, so, and I think, um, I think obviously the, the challenge there is that people just take this little nugget of a suggestion and I say, okay, that's exactly what they want. Um, but that, you know, I want you to take this suggestion and interpret it as you using your experience and your knowledge. Um, but, but I think very rarely people, um, people run with that power. Um, so that's, uh, thanks for that. I'm going to take that. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I I tell my clients all the time, uh, there's more than one right way to do something in most cases. So as long as it's a right way, it doesn't have to be your right way. Right. And 
we also need to allow people to fail, mm-hmm. right? Fail forward fast, right? In other words, if you let them make the mistake, they'll learn from it. But if you prevent them from making the mistake, then they're just robots. And you're actually slowing the process down because yeah. you're the purpose of delegating is investing time today to teach you how to do it right so that tomorrow you can do it without me. And not every situation is the same. So if you can't think your way through it, I failed. If all you are is a um, voice activated me, <laughs> that doesn't help anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, whether there are differences in the types of, of jobs people are doing. So you've spent time consulting in a lot of different industries. Um, so I guess the first question is, do you think leadership differs in a retail environment compared to other environments? And if so, how, if not, why not? I don't think leadership differs in any environment, right? So what is the goal of leadership, right? Most people think of the goal of leadership, they think of their business goals. Mm -hmm. But we actually have two separate goals or two separate strategies. We have our business strategy, which is how do we acquire more market share? How do we improve our market share? Our leadership strategy is how do we improve our people? And they, they layer on top of each other. So irrespective of what industry you're in, that strategy is the same. And I, I, I use um, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs as a model for that, mm-hmm. because you think about what is it we want out of team members? Well, we want them to be uh, um, self-sufficient, reliant, be able to go and do things, right? We want the people who are going to see a problem, identify it as a problem, attack that problem, and solve that problem on their own. We want people who show up engaged and excited about work. Maslow called that self-actualized. So those are people who are doing what they feel like they are meant to do, what they are born to do. Mm-hmm. What Maslow theorized is that until four other basic needs are met, we're never even going to realize, think about what we are meant to do. And those are survival needs. Now, I mentioned earlier, right, since time immemorial, we've chosen leaders who helped us survive. Mm-hmm which means as a leader, our job is to help people survive. So you have to meet their physiological needs, their safety and security needs, their sense of love and belonging, and their esteem needs. And those four, before they will figure out what it is they want to do. And when you set the situation up right, hopefully, if we hired right, and I mentioned that earlier, hired hired the right people, when they come up, what is it I want to do with my life? What is it I'm meant to do? It's what you've already hired them to do, or at least a position in your organization. It may not be the one they currently hold, but they go, oh, I can see myself as the purchasing agent, or I can see myself as a store manager, right? Um, and then, you you know, so that's what leadership is about, is getting them to that point. And I don't care what the industry is. It, that, that doesn't change. In fact, it could be nonprofit. It could be a sports team, right, John? Um, uh, um, oh, I forget the... the Basketball coach at uh, um, UCLA, uh, Wooden, you know, that's what he did with his players, right? Is, is he set them up for success so they be, realized their dream of being, you know, self actualized as basketball players? Yeah. I think that that um, circles back to uh, one thing that we've tried to communicate to retailers is that um, 
you don't need to hire someone necessarily with hardware or paint knowledge or even to a certain extent retail experience. Um, it's all about hiring for culture fit um, and, and to match those values like like you had said before. Um, so uh, when if you're approaching hiring in that way, um, what are kind of your best practices or or maybe um, tips for identifying potential leaders um, within the hiring process? I mean, candid. I'm not sure you can really identify potential leaders in the hiring process, but you can identify people who are good fit for the positions you're hiring them to do mm-hmm. um, because people can grow into leadership, especially if you're modeling it well, you're doing it yourself. Um, I, but I mean, there are certain things, obviously a leader needs to one, be outward focused. I mentioned that earlier. So if you find, if you find somebody through the hiring process that you think is inward focused and you need to do this through your questioning, right? What are the purposes of your questions? I, I remember when I first started interviewing people, and I had no clue what I was doing, like probably most people. Uh, uh, if you were a fruit, what kind would you be and why? <laughs> the heck does that mean, right? Who knows? But now I like I recommend you create for uncovering values. You, you set up situations, uh, scenario-based questions that test two values, one of which is yours and the other one is not. And it's not a like, you know, do you steal or not, right? That's an right. obvious one. <laughs> It's one's not obvious. You know, do you listen to uh, a scenario where it's either listen to a manager or give good customer service, right? Where mm-hmm. manager gave you some instruction and now there's a customer service situation that if you follow the, the, the manager's instruction, you don't give good customer service. Now, if sure. following orders is a high value, that there's nothing wrong with that. We have a hierarchical culture where following your, your, your orders is, is important to us then that's the right answer. But on the other hand, you have a culture where providing customer service is more important than listening to instructions you received, then that's the right answer. And since there's no obvious right answer, when you create a scenario like that, you get to hear what they really believe, right? So set up scenarios like that. I'm a big proponent of using uh, actual psychological assessments and hiring. Huge proponent for that. Because you can create a... Android, it's not obviously a real Android, but where you can create this model of what the ideal candidate looks like. And you there, there's methodologies for using, you know, stakeholders for that. And studies have shown when you test people against that ideal and you use three or more different psychological models. So their behaviors, maybe their motivators, their emotional intelligence or I say psychological models, they're soft skills. So, and you're, you're testing on three or more. Your hiring success is north of 90%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give you some something to judge that against, because by itself, what if it's 85% without that, right? It's not. It's actually <laughs> 16%. If all you're doing is interviews, you have a one in six chance of a good hire. And so 16% versus 90%. Use, use those sort of models. That's why all the big companies do that, right? Because they can't afford the cost of a failed hire is huge, right? And then the best behavior, best predictor of future behavior is past. So, you know, explore what, what motivates them, what drives them in their past. Um, there's a great book by um, Chet Holmes called uh, 
the ultimate sales machine. And in it, he describes his hiring process for salespeople. But that same process can be used, and I've used it successfully for hiring anybody because it explores what drives people. And that's an important piece, what motivates them. I think you could also probably make the argument that specifically in a retail environment, everyone is a salesperson. So there's that concept too. Well, I think you can make the argument that in any business, and the reason I say that is if you're not selling to the end user, whoever, you know, whatever business, every business is selling to some end user someplace, sure. you're selling ideas to your coworkers, right? And mm-hmm. so leadership, my podcast is, is a sales and leadership podcast. And my co-host is a sales expert, but he taught leadership at, at a university level. I've taught sales over the years. I grew up in the sales side. Those are two sides of the same coin. You're trying to convince people of an idea or to purchase a product. There's no difference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in your in your experience uh, leading seminars, doing workshops, keynote presentations, things like that, and, and um, writing your book, um, <clears throat> What is what is kind of a, a a common misunderstanding people have of leadership? What do you wish people knew about leadership that you kind of see come up again and again? Well, that's an interesting question because what I think people don't realize about leadership and the thing that I hear the most about my talks are sort of two different things, right? So <laughs> the, the comment I get most frequently is that the section I talk about when I talk about accountability is the one that resonates the most. How do I hold people accountable? I struggle with that too. Oh, that was some really great stuff. What they don't realize is that the reason they struggle with accountability is they don't hold themselves accountable first. Mm. The number one thing about leadership, and you know, if, if there's one thing I said, forget about everything else, this one thing will make you a better leader all by itself and make you effective, maybe not blue angel effective, but, you know, makes you effective. And that's to truly have integrity. And that's a misunderstood term. Most people think of integrity as synonymous with honesty, Hmm. but it's not. In a sense it is, but it's bigger than that. So integrity comes from the Latin term, Latin word integritatum, acting as a whole. So think about like a vessel, a ship, or you know that that's a container that's unbroken. Sure. When our character is unbroken, we have integrity. Right? So our, our our integrity is when we the values we profess to have are actually the values we have. Now understand, we will always make decisions in line with our true values, but some people. They think, oh my, you know, they either don't know what their real values are, they act on them, but they haven't really given it any thought, or their real values are very selfish and they know that doesn't come off well. So it's all about them. But they say, I'm about the team, I'm about customer service. I worked for a guy, I was the president of a company. The owner said he was all about customer service. He was one of the biggest, um, most selfish people I ever met. And I remember at the Christmas party, one, the first year I was there, um, I said, are we having a Christmas party? Because I used to do that, but nobody ever thanked me. And mm. I said to him, it's not about them thanking you. It's about you thanking them because without them, without our team, without the employees here, you don't have a business. Right. Right. So that's a lack of integrity. And so 
if you understand who you truly are. So when I do my leadership retreat, it's called Command College. We spent three very intensive days digging into what is leadership. The first piece we look at is, is that, who are you as an individual, right? And if you can be true to yourself, people will respect that, good, bad, or ugly. They just know what they're going to get. And those that stick around are okay with that. They volunteered for that and they're okay with that. They can work with that. Now, obviously the better person you can be, the more outward driven focused you are, the more you can improve yourself, the more people are going to respond to that, but be yourself. That's rule number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Dave, um, is there anything else you want to share on the topic of leadership before I give you an opportunity to pitch yourself a little bit? I appreciate that. Um, you know, I think you just actually really gave me the, the, the platform to do that, which is be true sure. to yourself. Number one, be, be true to yourself. Show people who you really are, good, bad, or ugly. If you don't like who you really are, then improve who you really are. People will respond to that. And I guess the last thing is, you know, uh, my, my co-host on my podcast has a saying, uh, Darren, Darren Cecil is his name. And he says, if you want to be valuable, be vulnerable. That's the other flaw in leadership is people think I have to be perfect. It's uh, that Star Trek next generation, Jean-Luc Picard standing on the bridge, you know, being sure in every decision, right? But even he, like he'll go back into his ready room and call in Dr. Crusher and then he'll, he'll pour out like, here's all my doubts and stuff. He doesn't show that. I don't, I don't mean you need to whine and cry to your entire team, but it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to not know and ask for advice. You don't have to know everything. Be vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. So where can our listeners find you? Well, uh, my webpage is lockedonleadership.com, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N leadership.com. I assume you'll put that in the show notes as well. Sure. Um, all my contact information is there. I, we have, I have a Facebook page. Um, I'm not very active there on Facebook. I'll be candid with you. Um, my podcast, Disarming Persuasion, disarmingpersuasion.com as well. And Great. feel free if they have any questions, email me, Dave at lockedonleadership.com. Again, all of that's all over the webpage. Um, and, and as I mentioned, I do have a, uh, a, a three-day leadership intensive called Command College. I hold it roughly once a quarter. Uh, mm-hmm. The next one is July 15th uh, through the 17th. Uh, there is, and dates are on my webpage. The, there is an October one, I'm sorry, uh, September one as well. I uh, can't remember what weekend off the top of my head, but if okay. you're interested in learning more, contact me. I'm happy to explore. It's not for everybody. And so I'd like to have a conversation uh, to see if it's right. But if it is, sure. you know, happy to have that conversation. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time today, Dave. Uh, I think there are definitely a lot of things uh, for people to think about after this episode, myself included. So thanks so much for your time. Um, And I definitely encourage everybody to check out LockedOnLeadership.com. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. And thank you for leading the way as well. This, this, uh, your young leaders, retailer, you're highlighting the right stuff and the right people from what I could see. And that's another form of leadership. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to Dave for joining us on the episode today. Um, I wanted to take a little time to uh, direct our listeners to Dave's website, which is lockedonleadership.com. On his website, you can learn a little bit more about his military history and some of his leadership and 
management experience. And you can also see videos of presentations Dave has given and learn a little bit more about the programs and services he offers, um, whether you are interested in the three-day workshop he talked about um, or just uh, working with him as a consultant. Um, he does have information there on his website. If you're looking to read a little bit more about leadership, uh, Dave does have some blog posts, um, just kind of going through his theories on leadership and his tips and then best practices. And you can also learn more about his book, which is also called Locked on Leadership. So thanks again to Dave for joining us. Um, and I encourage everybody to go there and check out his website. Today's retail market is rapidly changing. This year, gain the skills you need to grow your business and learn how to make a profit-focused strategy for the future. The NHPA Retail Management Certification Program will provide you with college-level training on everything from business strategy and financial management to marketing, merchandising, operations, and more. Classes are taught by successful retailers, industry experts, and collegiate professors. Don't wait. Classes start soon. Apply by July 1st to start your certification. Scholarships are also available. Learn more and apply today at yournhpa.org slash rmcp.